Cool. Hey, uh, we've been doing a series, Full and Overflowing, and looking at how God wants to kind of bring fullness, blessing in our life. And this morning uh, is the last Sunday of that, and um, I want to kind of set that within a big frame of a topic that looks a bit obscure, the providence of God. Sounds very obscure. It just means the idea, like I said, that God is kind of weaving everything together uh, for His purposes, to achieve His purposes. Um, and... Uh, I, I kind of want to share a journey, kind of a, going to do something a bit different today. I haven't got heaps of slides and a clicker. I just want to share a bit of a journey that I've been on the last few months in terms of understanding this. See, I've been a Christian for quite a while, and when I was thinking, looking back, really my whole faith has been based around a couple of core convictions. So really, from age 15 to 35 was this core conviction, God is on a mission to restore a broken, hurting world. And I want to throw my life into getting on board with that. that uh, so it never, people often say, oh, have you ever had a crisis of faith? It's like, not really, because I understand that this is a broken world. I don't assume that everything that happens is God's will. I, I, he's given us a mandate. I want to see more of his kingdom come, which assumes that there's some stuff happening that's not his will. It's like 15 to 35 for me was like, give myself to the cause of God's mission to touch a hurting, broken world. And, 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 and we kind of lived that out. And then really the last uh, 35 to 55 was kind of stepping back and, and like all of that actually comes out of an understanding of the character of God. That God is gracious, that he is kind, that he is patient. There's some Christians that have some really weird ideas around this God of wrath and judgment, but no, that is not how God operates in the world. He's kind and gracious and patient. And I really learned that from uh, experiences some of you would have heard with uh, one of our daughters that kind of ran away from home, pregnant at 18, and just picking up the, the father's heart just wants to win his children by kindness. Reluctantly sometimes has to step in to stop more hurt being happened, but, but to understand God's heart is always for people. It's always good. It's, and, and really those two convictions have been the foundation of my life for the last 40 years. God is on a mission to transform this world, and he's doing that because he has a heart of kindness and, and mercy and grace. And, and that's kind of served me well for 40 years of Christian life. And, and then to be honest, at the start of last, the end of last year, for the first time it's like, yeah, I'm totally convinced that's how God operates, but at a head level, there's about three verses that kind of don't fit in that grid. And how do I make sense of them? But on a more personal level, probably for the first time, first time in my life, to be honest, I was just feeling disappointed. Like, God, it's just not happening like I thought. And just an example, you know, our daughter, we have great relationship with her, but she hasn't come back to faith yet, and there's lots of prophecies, oh, she's going to come back. She's so like, yeah, totally, I believe that. But just this grief, like, yeah, but now my granddaughter is nine, and she's growing up not knowing. And just this grief, like, and disappointment with God. It's like, man, I'm just, I'm struggling to... The convictions that have carried me so far, so well for so long, it's like I came to the end of the year and I felt, uh, that's how I felt God's challenge, like man, over summer, I need to study about this sense of the providence of that, this comp somehow God, you are, you've got this. You are, it's not all on my faith, my confession, my giving, my stewardship. There's another side that, uh, this deep confidence that you are weaving stuff together. You are bringing uh, your purposes uh, to conclusion. Because we often say theology is kind of often a, a thing of balance or holding truths in tension. And you know, on one side, it's, it's all about my stewardship, my faith. 
my spiritual warfare, my breakthrough, absolutely convinced I want to camp there. That's where I start. The other side is, yeah, the sovereignty of God. He's doing all this. I don't want to start here because you end up just with this fatalistic, deterministic kind of, oh, well, it didn't happen. It wasn't God's will. I don't, I don't believe that at all. But uh, So if you're too far over here, you're too kind of fatalistic. But what I found is if you're too far over here, you kind of set yourself up for disappointment. And I want to camp here. I want to be based here. But I felt I need to stretch a bit to this side. I need to understand this. God, I'll do everything I can, but you got this somehow. You're at work in all of this. Um, so, uh, so I went into summer like, okay, I'm gonna study about this stuff. And uh, mid-December, college is winding down, I've got a bit of extra time. On Facebook, this thing pops up, Bethel Sermon of the Week from Bethel Church. And I thought, oh, I've got a bit of time, I'll listen to it. And it was the guy, Chris Vallotton, who's their prophet. And again, I love him because he's, he's not one of these harsh people. He's like, no, no, if you're a prophet, you're speaking about the heart of God and God's heart is grace and compassion and God's purpose is redemption and transformation. So don't call yourself prophet because you're harsh. Call yourself a prophet because you carry the heart of God. So I thought, oh, this is gonna be good. I wanna listen to this. And, and when I clicked on it, the title of the message was The Sovereignty of God. I thought, oh, that's interesting. And then his opening point was this. He said, recently, six mornings in a row, he woke up with God asking him this question, do you believe in the providence of God? He's like, well, I think I do. Next morning, do you believe in the providence of God? Well, I think I do. Next morning, do you? And he's like, maybe I better study the providence of God. Which for me is like, wow, maybe this is not just a personal journey I'm on. Maybe this is something that God's speaking to the church about, you know, we, we need a bit of a stretch on this side to understand that God's at work and stuff. And, uh, but he used providence in a kind of a slightly different sense. It's like, yeah, there's a sense God's at work, usually in hidden ways, weaving things together. But, he, but if you believe he's actually weaving things together, at some point it actually does come together. So God's normal way of operating is kind of grace-filled and, and there's a lot of latitude and things weave. And, but there are certain moments when God steps in and goes, it's happening now. And so his distinction wasn't so much between my faith, my confession versus providence. His distinction was between God's normal way of operating, which is a hidden providence, and God's unusual seasons where he goes, it's coming together now. And, and, so he, and what I found is, oh, that gave me a framework to understand these three or four obscure passages in the Bible where it shows God steps in. And like, for the weird Christians, these are their go-to starting places. It's like, no, these are the exception, but at times God does. Let me illustrate. So Moses feels a call. God's gonna set his people free from bondage. Steps out, tries to make it happen. It doesn't work. And, and Chris Valadon's point was actually a long time ago, God had spoken, prophesied to Abraham and said, your people are gonna be in bondage 400 years and then I'm gonna bring them out. Now you could have prayed and fasted and done spiritual warfare and whatever, but there was a moment when God is ready to push the button and go, my people are coming out now. It wasn't gonna happen before, but it also wasn't gonna happen after, which is the example that uh, it talks about Pharaoh hardened his heart. He wouldn't let them go. Pharaoh hardened his heart. Pharaoh hardened his heart. And at a certain point, God gives God goes, my people are coming out now. Pharaoh, if you're gonna fight this, um, it's happening. And so the language actually switches to then God hardened Pharaoh's heart. 
like, Pharaoh, this is happening now. You can't get in the way of the moment of God when I bring it all together. You know, another example is with Joshua, if you can put the verse up. Um, you know, when, again, they wander in the wilderness for 40 years. God gives them latitude. But then there's a moment God says, you're going in now to the promised land. And Joshua has this unusual encounter where it says he was standing, he looked and saw a man standing in front of him with a drawn sword in his hand. Joshua went up to him and asked, what we, are you for us or against us? Neither, he replied, but as a commander of the army of the Lord, I have now come. He's like, we are doing this now. I'm not for you or against you. The issue is, are you gonna get on board with what I'm doing? Joshua has the wisdom to go, oh, What's the message, Lord? Because it's no longer, are you gonna help me? Are you for me? It's like, you're doing this, God's doing this. I just gotta get on board with what God's doing in this moment. And, and you know, and, and Chris Vallotton goes, okay, that's the Old Testament, but we live in the New Testament, isn't it now all grace and mercy? And it goes, 99% of the time it is. <laughs> Freedom, grace, kindness, patience. Uh, but there are a couple of incidents in the New Testament where you see this moment where God goes, no, no, it's happening now. And he gives the example, and he, Chris Vallotton says he's really reluctant to talk about this, the, the incident in Acts chapter five, Ananias and Sapphira, it's this couple who lie to God and they end up dying. And, and he's like, oh, because every nutty Christian, this is their go-to passage for their vision of God of wrath. It's like, no, this is not God's normal way of operating. People were telling lies all over the place and didn't get struck down by God. And he, and he said, in fact, the guy interviewing them was the biggest liar in the history of the church. Peter, he lied about knowing Jesus at Jesus' trial and didn't get struck down. So this is not God's normal way. But there was a moment in the early church where the church was being launched and persecuted and, and God's like, no, in these moments when I'm launching it, you, you gotta get in the flow. And, and, and it kind of gave me a framework to understand, oh, this is how it works. Even, even the day of Pentecost, you know, a few years ago for Shout, we had the theme of suddenly. And it was like, suddenly, the spirits poured out. And they, but they had been praying. And I, I'm sure they didn't know this at the time. They're praying for a move, and suddenly there's a suddenly. But in hindsight, that suddenly wasn't going to happen until 50 days. Because Jesus was executed at Passover. The church was birthed at the Jewish feast of Pentecost. See, there was a moment when God says, you pray and you pray and you pray, and then he goes, we go now. And it happens. And it's like, oh, I need to understand this kind of thing. Um, I, came, I grew up in Taranaki. There's lots of mountain rivers that flow down. And so when we were teenagers, we used to pump, find tire tubes and pump them up and float down the rivers. You know, and most of the time it's broad and wide and deep and you kind of doing the paddling and you can go this way, you can go that way and it seems to be all up to your work but there's a deep current. That's like, that's God's normal way of operating. But every so often you spot there's a rapid up ahead and I got one job to spot where the current is going and stay in the middle of, of the current. And it's like, that's this problem. Normally there's a great latitude, there's patient, it's kind, we get to do stuff, and then there are moments when God goes, I'm about to propel my purpose forward, and you got one job, get in the flow of it in that moment, and so I just want to, um, you know, that, that kind of framework has been my experience, it's like God's, in the last few months, God's kind of pulled back the veil, and it's like, you don't normally see this, but let me give you some glimpses of how this works. 
So this is the start of our seventh year living in Auckland. So Pastor Sam, uh, we were in Christchurch, had my mother living with us, daughter and granddaughter. Pastor Sam invited us to come up and be the principal of the college. And, and to be honest, the last it's been wonderful some stuff around college, but it's been hard for us as a family because my mum's been in a rest home, steadily deteriorating. Parkinson's and, and we're often like, oh, we're back and forth and we've got to fly down to sort out stuff and, and we've struggled financially because our money was tied up getting into a rest home. And so every year it's like, oh, what do we do? Do we be stewards? Do we fast? Do we pray? Do we do spray? And it's, you just wrestle with all of this stuff. And it's like, well, I don't know what, I try and do the best of what we know with what's right in front of us. And then I literally, January, I remember the date because I text Pastor Sam about it. So my, January the 5th, I'm walking across our lounge and I hear God say, I'm about to scale things. And I thought, oh, great, college is going to grow, church is going to grow, text Pastor Sam. What happened is a few days earlier, my mother had got admitted to hospital in Christchurch and we are New Year's Day saying, oh, Christine, you just need to get down there and look after her while she's in hospital. And so she looked after her. Two days after I heard God, uh, Christine brings her out of hospital, gets her back in a rest home, gets her settled, and driving to the airport so that we can go away on our, on our summer holiday. While she's driving to the airport, the rest home calls her and says, oh, your mother-in-law's just passed out. We've called the ambulance. She needs to go back to hospital. And, and suddenly it's like we're in this moment where everything changed. Because suddenly all these people, oh, she's no longer going to be able to go back where she was. Well, if she can't do that, Maybe we could get her up to Auckland and, and she could be closer to us because this is not working anymore, kind of commuting care to Christchurch. And, 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 and everything kind of came together within uh, kind of uh, 10 days that everything shifted. God just decided that six years of confusion and hard and trying to do the right thing at each moment, the season's over, push the button, it changes. But part of the thing was, oh, we've got to find her somewhere to stay. And, you know, we've been renting for six years in St. Helier's. And we're like, come on, God, you promised us a house. And Christine loves gardening. And so there were tears around. Oh, I'm sick of doing other people's gardens. And <laughs> loves dogs. And we're like, come on, God. And then do you know what we found? There was a rest home 300 meters from our house that says, oh, we've got a hospital room. Your mum can come in here. And we're like, oh, gosh. God, thanks for not answering those prayers. Now, now we get it. And, but there was a moment that was a game changer for us because suddenly, uh, suddenly we're not this burden of long distance flying down. Looking. Suddenly she's real close. We can manage it. Suddenly our finances is released, which means the pressure's off Christine to be able to do what she... It's like, oh my God, for six years, everything we tried to figure out, nothing worked. Suddenly God goes, it's over. New season, game change. And, but, but in that moment, everything else had to get cancelled because it's like, hey, this is whitewater rafting time. Get in the flow because I'm about to change your life. And it's like, oh, we have to navigate that. But part I want to say, you realise stories exist within stories and stories because what I've realised, oh, this is, that's our story, but my mother has her own story. And God has set her up that in the final, she's not well, in the final season of her life, she's going to be living 300 meters from us in a hospital care that we can walk out and go, man, God, you've looked after her. Then I remember when I was a young, uh, young youth worker, 25 or so, we had this amazing move of God, and my mum wasn't a Christian then. And one time, you know, bold young youth workers, oh, pray for your mum, and the power of God hit her, and she had this vision of this bright light, and, and she just felt, heard God say to her, I, I will look after you. 
She's had a hard life. My dad was in and out of jail, left. She brought up two kids, working full-time, caring. And, you know, and, and at some point in her life, God just said, hey, it's been hard, but I'm going to look after you. And looking back now, oh, he's looked after. He's positioned her for the final season of her life to be around family. My brother's been in Australia for 25 years. He happens to be back in Auckland now, so he's close to her. Her two sons are living close to her. And then I thought, do you know what? She lived with us for 10 years, and, and God, look, God provided a daughter-in-law who's willing to have mother-in-law come and live with her for 10 years to buy a house that they worked with. And actually, we thought we were going to be missionaries in the Philippines. And again, we're confused. God brought us back. But there's our story, but that intersected with my mother's story that we were back and willing to take her in at the moment that she needed somewhere to live. And it's like, oh my God, you've been weaving together not only a story for us, but a story for my mum. And then I realized, you know, she lived with us for 10 years. And when we came to Auckland, we're like, um, Mom, we're going to have to get you in a rest home here. And again, a daughter-in-law that's willing to sell her house and put all the money in to get my mum into a rest home. But then we're like, we had my daughter and granddaughter with us, and it's like, well, you're going to have to get a flat as well. And they, they coincidentally got one really close to my, where my mum's rest home is. In fact, it's a cul-de-sac, but there's a little alleyway at the end, which means for six years, my daughter and granddaughter have lived 450 meters from my mum, and my granddaughter was able to scooter there after work and play cards and stuff, which what it means is 30 years ago, God promised my mum, I'm gonna look after you. For the last 17 years, she's never lived more than 450 meters from family. I'm just like, oh my God. You can't, you can't, you gotta surrender. God, you are at work in the deep, my mum's nothing. One random woman, God has orchestrated a whole lot of stuff for her life. And then, I don't know if this story will um, work so well. Here we are. We're in Europe in, um, in another month. At Equip we talk about Equippers London or Equippers UK. It's actually in Chertsey in Surrey, this cluster of small towns that are all close together. But the main hub's in a place called Chertsey. So I'm going to be there in a month. And um, again, over summer, studying about the providence of God, thinking about all this stuff, I thought, oh, sometime when we go back to Britain, I'd like to see where my family originally came from because I never kind of knew the Graham side because my dad was gone, so on. So try and find out where they'd come from. Maybe with some days off, we could go and visit it. And, and it kind of hit this dead end. Oh, I can't find anything more. And I thought, oh, I knew my grandmother on that side. I saw her a few times. I thought, oh, I should see where she comes from. Oh, her grandmother, as a 17-year-old girl, immigrated from England with her parents. And then I look, oh, her christening, you guys, her christening was at St. Paul's Addleston. And her parents were married at St. Paul's Addleston. That's like 2K from the Equippers Church in England. And then I saw, oh, her dad was born in Chertsey. Three of the grandparents are buried at St. Peter's Chertsey, which is even closer, like one kilometer. I'm just like... How bizarre is this? The attention to deep, and it's like, this is in the context of learning. God, just let me just show you a little bit about the detail of what I weave together. That you're gonna be back there, that 150 years ago, a couple, church is 15,000, in the mid 19th century it was 5,000. A group of families immigrated from Chertsey to New Zealand. I'm the great, great grandson of a teenager who left Chertsey, and then I'm back there preaching in their church. 
But then I thought about this grandmother. She was a Christian. She had a terrible life. Her husband came back from the First World War. Family were not sure whether he's affected by kind of chemical warfare gas or whether it was, now we might say, post-traumatic. But he was incredibly violent. Lots of, uh, lots of uh, convictions for violence. But actually, I heard a few years ago, he was so violent that one day he set my grandmother's hair on fire. Like, he crazy violence. And so the older brothers, older sons ran him out of the house. So this grandmother, she's a Christian, Solo mom in the 1940s, crazy domestic violence history, crazy husband away. But part of the thing with a lot of kids, she couldn't raise them all then. So my dad was sent away to be raised by someone else. That messed him up. So as an adult, he's in and out of jail, leaves his family. So you think, her life is this solo mom, crazy husband, son in and out of jail. But, but my dad told me she always thought there was the call of God on my life. I only saw it, but she, so he would get, he would say, I go and visit my mom, and she talks for a bit like, how are you? Then she goes, how's Stephen? And I just wonder, you know, in heaven now, you go, you know, that grandson that you felt there was something on his life, remember how your grandmother would tell you stories of that place in England? Well, one day he's going to be back there preaching in that place. I think God pays that amount of detail to the stories of our life. But most of the time, there's a veil on it and we never know. And it's like, man, I I need to kind of get a sense of this. Um, Let me show you just from scripture how this happens. The book of Job, Job 42 chapters. Most of it is this period in Job's life where everything goes wrong. Kids die, loses all his wealth, ill. It's like he wrestles with this. But then a couple of chapters at the beginning and the end say, oh, that sits within a bigger frame of an incredibly blessed life. But then there's a few verses at the start that say, all of that happened within a bigger story of the devil challenging God. And all of that sat within a bigger story that, Job, your story will be written up. And for the next three to 4,000 years, we'll go all around the world as, as the case study of how to respond to suffering that you don't understand when it's like, just do the right thing with what's right in front of you when you don't understand what's happening. Because it's playing out within stories, within stories, within stories. The classic example that I just want to take a bit of time with is the story of Ruth. So if you know the story in the Old Testament, young woman, uh, widow, so marries, young husband dies, brother-in-law dies, father-in-law dies. Her mother-in-law is this bitter, hurting woman. There's famine. And, and she's like, I'm just going back to where I belonged. And Ruth faces this moment where she's like, do you know what? I feel it's the right thing to commit to this woman. She's a hurting, broken woman, but I'm just gonna commit to her and I'm gonna go wherever she goes. And she follows her back to her home country. And she's like, man, I'm just gonna do whatever it takes to provide food for this woman. She could have walked away, but it's like, this is what in front of me, a broken, hurting woman, my mother-in-law, I'm just gonna be there for her. In the providence of God, she happens to go into a field that happens to be owned by a relative. And they happen to have this system of what's called Leverite marriage, that if a, if a man dies, that the relatives are responsible to marry so that his name continues in the land. So they happen to get married. And they happen to have a son. And, and so over time, she just, from a couple of decisions just to do the right thing, God leads her life to a place of fullness and blessing. 
But her story sits within a bigger story. If you read the conclusion to the book of Ruth, if you can put that up. Actually, there's an argument that the book of Ruth is not so much about Ruth, it's about Naomi, this woman whose name means pleasant. She says, don't call me that, call me Mara, which means bitter. Anyone been through some bitter seasons? But at the end of the story, it's actually not just Ruth's redemption, it's Naomi's redemption. It's not just Christine and I being set free from this bond. It's like my mum's story being positioned. And it's like this. So it actually says Naomi had a son. She didn't have a son. It was Ruth's son. But it's like God has restored her story. And here's what I mean. Normally we don't get to see that. And then it just makes this random comment. And by the way, and they named him Obed. And by the way, he was the father of Jesse. And he was the father of David, the greatest king of Israel. Oh, you mean my story actually played into a three-generation story? And the full significance of my story wouldn't be clear for three generations? All she knew is what was right. I've got to do the right thing with what's right in front of me. And this is the, normally we don't get to see this. Like normally I don't get to see the stories that my life plays into. But God just lifts it a bit and go, three generations down, the greatest king that Israel would know came from this decision of a young widow to go, I'm gonna stick with this hurting woman. I'm gonna do whatever it takes. You're special enough that God weaves stories within stories within stories. And most of the time you will never know. I've been a Christian 40 plus years, just in this last three months when God's challenge, he's like, let me show you a bit of the stories within stories within stories. Because normally he does, because we're called to live by faith. We're called to trust the providence of God, even when we don't see it. You know, it's interesting that if you put that back up, the book actually goes on the next bit. It finishes with a genealogy. This is a family line of Perez, who's the son of Judah, where the promised line, and unfortunately we couldn't get it on one slide, but if you flick up the next one, it's actually a 10 generation genealogy from Judah down to David. So it's like, oh yeah, this is not just leading three generations ahead. This is a culmination from seven generations. Ruth, your decision is playing into a 10 generation story. At the pivotal seventh generation, you propel the story forward, but you never knew that. And actually, the story, there's a weird guy, there's this weird kind of sick incident where that thing back where that guy Perez was born because uh, Judah had a son, married, he dies, the brother's supposed to remarry the widow, he does this weird sexual thing where she won't conceive, he dies, Judah's supposed to arrange another son, he doesn't want to do it, the woman pretends to be a prostitute, gets pregnant, oh, like, yeah. It's like seven generations down, Ruth redeems the story of Leverite marriage with a beautiful story of Leverite marriage. She redeems something ugly from seven generations before that sets up three generations forward. Can you believe your life has that amount of detail woven into it? And then if you go forward to Matthew, the start of Matthew, there were 14, which significant Jewish numbers, two times seven. It was a story, actually a 14 generation story going back from Abraham to David. And then there was another 14 from David to the exile, which was kind of downhill. And then another 14 to the Messiah. So, Ruth, you were part of a 42-generation story. But you never knew that. You just knew there was a hurting woman that needed you to make a decision to stick with her. And you had a decision, would you humble yourself and go and walk in the fields? You didn't know that that was playing out within stories, within stories, within stories. 
But there comes a moment when God goes, it's happening now. And um, if, you, if you, that's the moment, it's funny, you know, when the angel comes in and announces to John the Baptist's dad, if you can put this verse up, you know, oh, it's happening now. And he's like, no, no, that's not right. And then the angel uh, says, if you go on to the next one, he just says, and now you will be silent and not able to speak because you did not believe my words, which, this, which will come true at their appointed time. It's like, Zechariah, this is a 42 generation story that's had a lot of latitude, a lot of roundabout, a lot of variation. <laughs> but it's happening now, and, if, and if, you can't, if you're gonna get in the way of that, you can just shut up and watch it happen. <laughs> this is what I've learned the last kind of three or so months, maybe if I could get Steve back up. Most of the time, all I see is what's right in front of me, and I have a decision to try and work out the right thing to do with what's right in front of me right now. And it's all I get to see. But I need to trust, like that paddling the thing, paddling the tire tree, there are deep currents, hidden currents at work that I probably will never know most of the time. Man, I just feel like God's, you're special, you're special. God. God is big enough to personally weave together your life in multi, multiple generational stories. And then every so often, he says, it's happening now. What happened to Christine and I, January the 7th? It's, it's now we're changing. What happened to Zechariah? No, it's happening now. What happened to Pharaoh? No, it's happening now. What happened to Joshua? No, it's happening now. And in those moments, you know, there's a verse, I don't know if you can put this up in Psalm 110, just says this, your troops will be willing on your day of battle. Another translation? Got the, your troops will be on the day of your battle. There are certain days when God says, I normally work in hidden ways with a lot of latitude and a lot of, but there are certain moments when I step in in power to make something happen. And that's the moment where you've got to go, I'm up for this. Um, I've shared this with Pastor Sam. Um, so, uh, you know, over summer, um, in the midst of all of this, I was just thinking about, you know, the, the journey of this church to find our own building. And, and I was praying about it, and I just saw this kind of rumbling in the heavens, like storm clouds, and realizing that's a picture of what's happening in the Spirit, and realized, oh, there's, there's, there's a story to do with the building for this church that buys into bigger stories than we realize. Every other mega church, big church in Auckland's got a building. Life's got a building. City Impact's got a building. C3's got a building. Church Unlimited. Why is it so hard for equippers to get a building? Because there are stories within stories that are being outworked. You know, I'm old. Pretty much almost 40 years ago, I was part of the biggest Pentecostal church in the Southern Hemisphere that met in the town hall that had a dream and a purpose to stake a claim in the center of this city for the cause of God. And it all went wrong. And it's like something of that mantle this church carries. And it's like there are stories within stories that we are part of that we don't understand. And then Pastor Sam was saying, yeah, and there's another story of being the hub of a global apostolic movement. And, and it's like, man, what do you do in that? You know, and I was at the first prayer meeting, 
or second, I think, first service I was at the start of the year in the town hall that Pastor Scott was leading. And he's like, man, so great. We're moving to AUT. You know, it's just going to be able to, we're going to be able to have the stability to grow the church and we're going to be planted in the world of the students. And I just thought what he carried in his heart, which was the student, was like, that's like a Ruth attitude. I'm just going to do the right thing. And that kind of attitude shifts things and moves stories along in the heavenlies. That goes, do you know what? Yeah, we'd like a building, but we just want to see this church grow. We want to see lost people won. We want to see impact amongst young people and students. I want to tell you, as we set our hearts to do that, the story is moving forward are all around us. And there will come a moment when God pushes the button in His time and the providence of God in the day of His power. And He says, now is the time that it happens. And in the meantime, we do the right thing with the right heart, with what's right in front of us right now.